Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So as we were singing together, um, so encouraging to me, we're singing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, Those words, you know, come out of the book of Job. When his life had fallen apart beyond what he could have ever imagined. And somehow he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And this seems to be something that is part of the Christian life. This ability to, when everything goes stupid crazy, right? And by all human perspective, hope is lost. That we have this solid, solid ground upon which we are standing. And I was thinking as we were singing of uh, Paul and Silas in Philippi, beaten with rods, that's caned. And I don't know if you've ever looked into that all. That is like one of the most horrific physical punishments you can endure. They took care of them, right? Threw them into jail. And then about midnight, do you remember? The guard hears and sing with me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And I know they weren't singing Amazing Grace, because the song wasn't written until probably 1,700 years later. But the point is, is that These men who had been beaten almost to death, no care for them, in a dark jail cell, had this on Christ, the solid rock, I stand, right? Nothing moves me away from that. Father, thank you for these truths which we've worshiped you with today, and I pray you dry them down in our hearts that all the things we're gonna talk about, Lord, that they, they all start with a relationship with you with your plans and your working and your presence in our lives. And uh, so we need you to speak to us today and we're gonna trust you to do that. Pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our culture and probably cultures around the world, so to speak, you know, if we ask the question, who gets to play the leading role in some performance? Um, it's probably, and you think of it, the performance, a TV or a movie, it's probably going to be uh, one of the pretty people. Do you know what I mean? I mean, the idea is that they probably aren't choosing me, you know? Uh, and they have this vision, of who gets to do that? You have to look just the right way uh, to, to, to do that kind of stuff. Uh, who gets to be the starting players on the team? You've got to be a certain size and you've got to be able to run at a certain speed, right? Jump a certain height. I mean, all of those kinds of things. So many things in life are all 
like performance-based, right? Somehow or other, you have to be able to be or do something. And so really, there's only a very small percentage of people who are like that, right? And who get to do those things. But not so with us as Christians. God has an amazing plan that he's carrying out, a plan he began before the creation of the world and is carrying out, and every one of us has a role in it. And doesn't matter what size you are, what shape you are, what color you are, what language you speak, how intelligent you are, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. We all have a part to play. In fact, I think it's kind of interesting, the, the story we're going to look at today from the Word um, in that area, there was someone who wrote an account of the Apostle Paul that, that wasn't included in the Bible. It probably shouldn't be in the Bible based on some things we know about it. But in this account, this person describes what the Apostle Paul looked like. So listen to this. And I don't know if this is how you imagine him. But he described him as a man, small of stature, with a bald head. I like that. <laughs> And crooked legs, probably bow-legged, with eyebrows meeting, they've got a unibrow going on, and nose somewhat hooked, full of friendliness. Interesting. Uh, but so in Christianity, see, it, doesn't, it is not about all the things that the world would think are so important and all the, I mean, because in reality, a lot of us in life have experienced, you know, uh, some measure of rejection sometimes over those kinds of things. And, and, you know, you're on the outside and you don't have any part in this. Not so with Christianity and the mission that God has us on. And so last week we began uh, looking at the missionary journeys of Paul, okay? The really valuable information in there for us. Uh, and so we saw that there were three missionary journeys. And the, the first one, which we started looking at last week, when we finish with today, provides us a framework for Christian missions. And then the second journey, we really see the spiritual nature of missions. And then in the, the third and final journey, we see just the enduring importance and the impact, the difference that missions makes. And so last week, we started on the first journey, talking about a framework for Christian missions. And uh, how do we view these things, right? How do we do it? What are the nuts and bolts? How do we carry things out? How do we pursue it? What, what should be motivating us in these kinds of things? And so we're going to pick up there. Last week we were in chapter 13. We saw this idea of, of, of Paul and Barnabas being sent out by the Holy Spirit and sent out by the church in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And they, they go and they engage and preach the gospel. And, of course, some hard things happen to them. Let's pick up their story in Acts chapter 14 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, we encourage you to pick up one under the chairs there in front of you. It'll make it a lot easier for you to follow along. Acts chapter 14, it's on page 1271 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. So Acts chapter 14, we're talking here about carrying out the Great Commission, right? That's what we saw in Acts chapter 13. The Holy Spirit sent them out and said, go. And what did Jesus say right before he left the earth to his disciples? Go, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them, teach them to observe all the commands I have given you. And as we look here at chapter 14, we're talking about carrying out the Great Commission. 
And we're reading the story of Paul and Barnabas carrying out the Great Commission and the churches they were connected with, but these things would also apply to us. Now, I did say to you last week that um, we are not all missionaries, but we are all responsible for the Great Commission. Okay, every Christian has a responsibility to that, and then we as a church together have a responsibility to carry out the Great Commission. Missionaries are those who God then burdens and the Holy Spirit sends out to go someplace else to a culture uh, or a country or a geographical area where the, there's a great need for the gospel. Is, is there a great need for the gospel here? Yes, it is. It's tremendous. But do you understand that anybody... Anybody in our country today, if they had a question, they wanted to know, what is this gospel thing? Could they find out? Yeah. yeah. It's either a place right down the street they can go or they online, you know. But there are places in the world where that is not available. And so God burdens people to go. And, and we're going to be talking about this and how we interact with those people that God burdens to go. So we're talking about when we are carrying out the Great Commission First thing I want you to see is this, that we are always in a spiritual battle. We are always in a spiritual battle. Whenever we're carrying out the Great Commission, whether it's us or our missionaries, okay? So let's read here in chapter 14. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But... The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So see, what do we see happening? Boom. Spiritual opposition coming here. Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone or had a conversation with someone and then you, you, you either saw or heard that somebody came along behind you and tried to undermine everything you have said? That's going to happen. Why? Why will that happen? Because we are in a spiritual battle. There is a realm around us that we do not see with our eyes where the enemy, Satan, and if that's new to you, there is a being called Satan, and he stands in opposition to God and truth. He is the father of lies. His desire is to destroy us. And so he will work in and through people who will cooperate with him, just like we're supposed to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There are people who will cooperate with him, most of them unwittingly, not knowing it, but by believing lies and acting on them. And that opposition is there. First thing that Satan wants to do is prevent you from having a relationship with Christ. Because if you have a relationship with Christ, you know, because you place your faith in Jesus who died for your sins and rose again, and every sin is forgiven and you have eternal life. Satan no longer has access to you. No direct access anymore. So that's the first thing he wants to stop. And if you can't stop that, you've come to Christ, the next thing he wants to do is to mess with you and mess with your life in such a way that you become unfruitful and, and your life is not a good testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a spiritual battle that's real. And then as you seek to live for the Lord, uh, he's going to work at that, against that, but then also as you witness, he's going to work against that. And we see this happening here to these missionaries as well. Verse 2 again, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore, they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. That, I think that's, <laughs> that isn't the line I expected, Right? They poisoned their mind against them, and so they moved on to the next town. That's the, the expectation, isn't it? 
No, they poisoned their minds. What did they do? They stayed. And they faced this opposition and, and preached the word in the face of opposition. And they didn't back off. Boy, isn't that a good challenge for us? Have you ever tried to share your faith with someone again and experienced a pushback? Someone harshly pushes back negatively. And our tendency is just to, okay, let's close up shop here and back away. And that, that might be the thing to do at that moment, but it's not the thing to do in your life. You want to press on in and keep doing like they are. And so what was going on? Therefore, they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So God is bearing witness that, that these people are speaking the truth. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And by the way, Jesus told us that was going to be the case. And it's a hard truth for us. Because when you receive Christ as Savior and then you, you get serious about following him and you, you begin changing your life, you know, as, as he leads you to and, and matching up with his word and then you begin caring and sharing your faith and you do this kind of thing, there will be division. There will be people who you had a relationship with who won't really want that relationship anymore. That's hard, isn't it? Could be a family member, could be a close friend, could be co-workers, whatever. But just know it goes along with following Christ. But in the middle of all the hardship, what do we sing? Blessed be your name, Lord. On Christ the solid rock I stand, okay? So if division comes, we don't want to be hard about it. We want to care, but we need to keep pressing forward following the Lord Jesus Christ. So verse four again, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they're going to do them harm. They were planning. They had a plan in place. Verse six, they, Paul and Barnabas, became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia and to the surrounding region. And they were preaching the gospel there. So when it got to that point, they did move on and went to the next place. But they didn't stop preaching, right? They didn't say, whoa, this is a whole lot uh, more dangerous and risky than I thought. I think maybe we should rethink this. No, they went on and preached the gospel in the next place. But we are always in a spiritual battle. How do you win a spiritual battle? It's not intended to be a trick question. We need to fight spiritual battle with spiritual weapons, right? And Ephesians talks about that, and we can look at that at some point in time. But really what I want to say to you is let's depend on, let's draw close to and depend on the spiritual being who is greater than our spiritual enemy, right? We need to draw close to the Lord every day. We need to be conscious of that and work at that because there will be spiritual opposition. And when that happens, we got the words of the Apostle John. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Okay? And so uh, we are in a spiritual battle. We need to be aware of it, but we don't need to fear it. All right. Second thing I want you to see as we look through this story that we are always at risk of being misunderstood. The Bible tells us that the natural man, the natural mind, does not naturally grasp the truths of God. It's a spiritual work, isn't it? 
And so there was always a risk of being misunderstood for us and for the missionaries that we send out. Let's look here in verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. Somehow or other he could you know, tell in his demeanor and the Holy Spirit within him. He could see that he was ready to be healed. And um, it says, that he, verse 10, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language. Now that's important to understand because Paul and Barnabas did not speak Lycaonian. <laughs> they spoke Greek, they may have spoken Latin, they may have known Aramaic or Hebrew, but they didn't know Lycaonian language. Anybody here know Lycaonian? You could say yes and I'd have to believe you because I don't know it either. Okay? All right. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Zeus was the top god of all the Greek false gods, mythical gods. And Hermes was his son, and he was the messenger of Zeus. He was the chief spokesperson for Zeus. And so they're saying, wow, these have come down from heaven. And as they look at Paul and Barnabas, is that the message Paul and Barnabas wanted them to get? No. They want to think, wait, what do you mean the gods have come down in the form of humans? The God did come down and become a human, but this is not what we're talking about. But they don't even know it yet. They don't know how they're responding. Have they been misunderstood? Are they being misinterpreted? Yeah. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. They are going to sac make sa animal sacrifices and worship Paul and Barnabas. Verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes, which is it's just a, it's kind of strange to us, right? I'm not going to do it here today, but if I got really, oh no, this is such a terrible thing, I might go and rip my clothes. That was how they did it, to express it. They tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Now, stop. What did he just call their things of worship? Useless things, okay? You think that kind of hit them hard? Yeah, I think it did, and we're going to see, I think, part of the result of that. And then he continues to talk about God in verse 16. He says, or excuse me, into verse 15, who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness. And that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Now we don't all know what else Paul was talking about, but if he's consistent with the other things, he probably went on and told about how he had raised Jesus from the dead and, and really helping them to understand the gospel. Verse 18, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So we are always at risk of being misunderstood when we go with the gospel. Um, 
Do you think the Apostle Paul, you know, he's the chief spokesman, so he did most of the speaking. Do you think the Apostle Paul spoke pretty clearly about who God was? Do you think he did? Do you think he spoke pretty clearly about what sin was? About our need for a savior? Do you think he spoke clearly about Jesus coming down from heaven, the Son, Son of God coming down from heaven, the person Jesus? All of that. I'm, I'm confident he spoke very clearly about that. And they still what? Misunderstood. Now this should point us back to the first thing we looked at. We are in a what? Spiritual battle. And so it's not surprising that there is misunderstanding. Now we need to do our best to explain as clearly as we can. We need to do that. But we need to do more than that. We must engage with the God of the universe and ask him to clear that fog of misunderstanding that people have because there's this spiritual part in the background. We need to ask God to work and we need to be depending on him to work. So yesterday we have our trunk or treat event uh, and it was a great event and I'm so grateful to everybody who, who uh, gave of their time and effort and the families who came through have all had uh, now several connections with us and with an opportunity to hear the gospel. They all got an email from us before the event. Everyone who registered was talking about, hey, you know, if, if, here's one of the reasons we do this event and you, you, know, you click here or talk to us when you show up. And then we handed them a card that had an explanation, a very simple explanation and told them how they could get more info if they wanted to talk to us about it and invited them to do so. I think, you know, I tried to be as clear as I could. But you know what really needs to happen? Is that the Holy Spirit needs to, to cut through the fog of their misunderstanding because you'll have people who come here and really believe a lot of different things than us and read that and go, oh yeah, me too. We need, you know, so it comes down again, it's depending on God as we do what he's told us to do. Consciously depending on God, praying together to God and asking him to clear people's minds because Paul says that Satan has what? Darkened their minds, darkened their understanding. And so it's a spiritual battle again. All right. Third thing we're going to see here today is that we are always in need of God's power. Wow, it's kind of a consistent theme here in this story, isn't there? We are always in need of God's power. So one minute these Lycaonians are ready to worship Paul and Barnabas. And now when they finally said, no, no, don't do that. This is all, you know, this is those useless things. That's not how you know God. And they barely held them back. And then verse 19, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Now there's a 180 degree turnaround, isn't there? One moment he's God and the next moment he's an imposter. And... Um, this could have been the end of story, right? Fades to black, story over. Verse 20, however, I love those kind of words in the Bible. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. First of all, this is amazing, miraculously he woke up because I mean, did Paul die here? Did he die? We don't know for sure. And I'm not sure the Apostle Paul knew for sure, but I think he talks about this event in another place. He says, I knew a man who experienced paradise, and I don't know whether he was in the body or not. I don't know, but he, he experienced and saw things and heard things from God. 
So he may have died and God raised him. Or he may have been almost dead, but they assumed he would have died, right? Left him for dead. Either way, it took God's power to raise him up. He needed God's power, didn't he? And the others did too, all the people. They're, it says they're just standing around him. They think he's dead, don't they? His fellow believers think he's dead. Can you imagine? Isn't that a dark moment? You're hanging and here's Paul, the one who was your, you know, champion. He's dead. At least you think he is. And then he gets up. Stands up. He's alive and maybe well. <laughs> I think, you know, if I were the Apostle Paul, I would have stood up and I'd kind of looked around, got my bearings and said, there's the city of the people who just stoned me. I think I'm going that way. (laughs) Right? Wouldn't that be the natural thing to do? But no, not only was he physically restored, he is also restored in his soul and he goes back into the city. Now, I don't think he went and preached out in public, but he went back to the city, met with the followers of Christ, and then the next day, heads back down the road. We are always in need of God's power. Sometimes we see it more clearly than other times, and, but we always need to pray that God would work. Um, I need God's power to get out of bed in the morning. And sometimes I'm awake, but I mean, to get out of bed right, I need God's power. I need God's power to make the right decisions about what I do with the next hour of my time. Because I still live in this body. I still have flesh, and and I don't always feel like doing what I need to do. Anybody relate to that? I need God's power. All along the way, and we're not necessarily talking about bells and whistles power. We're talking about a deep down kind of power that just doesn't let go of us and keeps after us and helps us to keep going forward. And sometimes it's bells and whistles power that we need. And that's what we see happening with Paul here. And then finally, we are always in need of others to help us succeed. Now, I just realized I used the word finally. When a preacher says finally, what's it mean? Nothing. (laughs) No, I'm exaggerating. It is the final point in this section. (laughs) Okay. Um, We always, we are always in need of others to help us succeed. So we're on this great commission ourselves and missionaries on this great commission. We always need others, need each other to help us succeed. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, to Derby. And made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now, now wait a minute. I don't know if those cities make it ring any bell to you, but Lystra was just where he was what? Stoned. Went back to Lystra. Then he went to Iconium. That's where they had run them off. And then to Antioch. Same thing there. This is dangerous, but they are going back. Why are they going back to those places? They had preached the gospel there. People had received Christ there. And now let's see, verse 21. And when, oh, excuse me, this verse 22. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so he's telling them, look, 
You've seen what's happened. I was here and you saw what happened. Expect hardship. Expect opposition. Really expect the kinds of things we talked about, that we're in a spiritual battle. We're not always going to be understood. And we always need God's power. Believe this. They needed Paul to tell them this. Because they'd seen it happen to Paul and Paul went on down the road. But they needed to hear what happened, right? And is God powerful enough? They needed to hear these things. They, they needed to hear from Paul. So let's continue reading. Verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church, they identified spiritual men, people who were the most spiritually advanced, and, and put them to oversee the churches. And they prayed with fasting. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now, when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work for which they had completed. So where did they go? They went back home, didn't they? They went back to where they started, to the place where the Holy Spirit had sent them out. They went back to that place, to that church, to those people. Verse 27, now when they had come and gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. And they're going to head out again, but they stay there a long time. So see, there's this recognition of this need of each other. They had been sent out by a church, hadn't they? And undoubtedly, they had tried to send them as much provisions and money as they could when they went. Uh, and Because they needed that. They needed each other. We need each other. They were planting churches. They didn't just go win people to Christ and leave them out there. No, they gathered them together and made a church. Why? Because they needed each other. They established churches, this idea of coming back through and, and helping them to grow strong, returning to those churches. Why? Because they need that. We need each other. And then they returned to the church that sent them and said, here's what God has done. You guys sent me out. And, and, and then they stayed. Why? Because they needed each other. We need each other. Do you really believe that? I mean, I think we would say that if I said, do we need each other? You'd go, oh, yep, yep, definitely, we need each other. All right, are you living like you need each other? Really? Hmm. I think we, it's easy. We're, who's busy besides me? Everybody? We're so busy, right? And then, yeah, sometimes each other becomes convenience if we can. But if we really believe we need, who in here thinks that you need to eat? Now, I'm not talking about how much. We need to eat. And if you thought that you needed other people as much as you need to eat, you'd make time to be with other people when you, I mean, in doing the things that God has given us to do. Anyway, so we're always in need of other people to help us succeed. So always in a spiritual, when we're on the Great Commission, us, and when we send our missionaries, we're always in a spiritual battle. We're always at risk of being misunderstood. We are always in need of God's power. We're always in need of others to help us succeed. All right. I really want to focus in a little more on this idea of this framework for Christian missions that we see here. And I want you to understand something, that when we send our missionaries out, we send them to enemy territory. Right? Was Paul in enemy territory? Could you tell? Right. Now, are we in enemy territory? 
Yeah? But once again, where we are in the United States of America, the enemy does not have nearly the foothold that he has in other parts of the world. Okay? And so, yes, we are in enemy territory, but I want you to know when we send a missionary out to a dark place, we're sending them into enemy territory. Now, what do you do if, if you think in the, just in the military sense, if you send your, your soldiers out into enemy territory, there's certain things they need, right? You don't just send them out there and go, all right, they're gone. <laughs> no, some things you got to do. And so here's what we want to think about. And we see this in different places in the scripture. But when, when our missionaries are in enemy territory, we need to keep the intelligence and ammunition coming. And by intelligence, I'm not talking so much for the, the missionary that could be there, but I'm thinking we have an army out there, they need intelligence, don't they? And so you're sending them the information you need and you're sending the ammunition so they can do what they need to do. And so I'm thinking the same thing for our missionaries. We need to pray, oh God, would you give them clarity of thought? God, help them to see where they're at. Help them to understand that culture. Help them to know how to, to do what they need and to make wise decisions. Oh God, help them. And then empower them. God, we've already talked about it today, right? God, they need your power. Please empower them in their ministry uh, and your power, Lord, to protect them and on and on it goes. So we need to keep that prayer connection with them. Uh, so when, all the second thing is this, that we need to keep the supply line open. You send a, a military out there, they need supplies, don't they? You gotta keep them supplied. Well, missionaries need that too. We need to keep sending them money. They need money. Anybody here, if we said, you know what? No more money for you. You guys, just, you'll be okay. Any takers? No, you don't believe me, do you? <laughs> you shouldn't. Money is needed to do things in the world. And so we gotta keep the money going to them. Most of the places our missionaries go, they are not allowed to work legally, even if they needed to. So they need somebody else to help support them. Uh, and then also assistance. There's times and places where they need assistance with something. They need something to happen back here while they're over there. Or while they're here trying to uh, make connections with churches so they can go, they need assistance. And so we need to think about that. Also, when our missionaries are in enemy territory, we need to keep the morale high. Man, I talk to, I, I have, as a pastor, I get to talk to missionaries, and there are times and places where they are in really, really dark, heavy, overwhelming circumstances. At that time, at that very moment, if an email comes and says, hey, we're praying for you, do you know the difference that makes? I'm not out here alone. God hasn't forgotten me. And so we need to communicate and, and encourage them. And, and they communicate with us. And, and I've already mentioned we're going to do a, a better job of keeping that info before you and letting you know. So let me just give you an example. Let's, let's talk about one of our missionaries and a prayer letter we just received from them, the Lyles. Uh, David and Tanya Lyles, missionaries in uh, Peru, and we've been supporting them probably for 16, 17 years down there. Uh, he, they really, really do a great job. And so in his most recent letter, uh, he put these prayer requests in there. Uh, on November 1st, they have a Youth Missions Emphasis Day. Uh, you didn't, okay, that's right, that's fine. Just listen here. November 1st, Youth Missions Emphasis Day. We will host 500 young people at the seminary 
and challenge them to surrender for full-time ministry. They're trying to, you know, get laborers into the harvest, and they're asking us to pray for that. Then our upcoming camp season, they're in the Southern Hemisphere, so January through March is their camp season, and they're expecting over 1,600 campers this year that they're gonna preach the gospel to and teach uh, those who are already Christians. We need camp game equipment, including ping pong and foosball tables for the upcoming summer camps. $2,500 they need for that. And number four, we're still in need of $1,500 to cover the cost of replacing our vehicle. And finally, he said, please pray for Peru's political situation. I'm not going to go into it, but he outlined it. That things could change rapidly there, and it could really affect them and Christians in their country. Okay, so he's asked prayer for these things. We send them money every month. They send us a prayer letter every other month coming back. So we need to pray for these things. And we're going to just take a moment and do that. Okay? Yeah, let's do that first. Then I've got an idea to share with you. Okay, let's, let's pray. Father, we do bring the Lyles to you. Father, them and the church that they've started there, the believers who are there, we ask your working, Father, protect them. They are in enemy territory. I pray you protect them. Pray you will empower them for ministry, Father. Uh, give them great wisdom as they work on these things that these ask us to pray for. We do pray for this, this youth missions emphasis day, Father, where uh, all of these young people are gonna be there. I pray that your word would would just go right to these young people's hearts and, and those that you're calling, Father, to do something greater, maybe to become missionaries themselves. I pray you'd stir their hearts and that they would say yes to you in this. We ask for their camp, Lord, as a, I'm sure many unsaved young people will be there. We pray for you to work in that, that the gospel would be your power unto the salvation of many who are there. And I, I pray for the equipment they need, the the uh, for this, that you'd provide it, Lord. You'd provide the money. I pray you would put into our hearts what you want us to do, individually or together as a church. The same thing with the vehicle he needs to finish paying for. Father, I pray that you would lead us. What we should do also, Lord, we pray for you to provide for him as you see fit. And then, Lord, the, the political situation, the, the ways that they are potentially at risk, please protect them. We would ask that you would somehow, rather as you work in that country, that they would, they and believers would remain free to, to carry out this mission that you've given us. But we trust you for that. You may have other plans there, Father. But please work, uphold our missionaries that you have sent and we're cooperating with you in sending. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, who thinks the fact that we took this time and prayed matters? Does it matter for them? It does matter. And if other churches like us who are also cooperating, helping them pray, you know, we're, we're on to something, aren't we? Okay? Now, I have an idea. Because one of the things, it's not just praying. I, I, I really like to encourage them. And so I... Maybe some of you can help me with this, but my thought is, is that uh, I, can, I will go on the Lyles, uh, David's, because his wife will see it, but his, his Facebook page and tell him that we prayed for you on this day. We want you to know that. We care about you. You know, we're back here being supportive of you. And then maybe you guys, I don't know how I would do this. You'll have to help me, but anyway. You can go on and comment. I can put you where his link for his paper, and you can say, hey, 
I was there. We prayed for you. You know, we, we're Lifesource Church. We, we love you. We care for you, right? Think it would make a difference? Lift someone's spirits? Yeah, and see, like for, for you to know, see, they are new empty nesters. So they're alone there like never before. I mean, who knows what God uh, can and will do there. So we'll get some info out on you how to do that. All right. So let's, let's wrap this up. The framework, and, and I did mean that one. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Let's look at the framework for Christian missions. Okay. First of all, that uh, missionaries are sent out by the Holy Spirit and the whole church. That's what we saw. So let's go back and think about this. There, if what we ta- talked about in the beginning. There's a role for everyone to play in this. Every one of us. That's why I put the whole church here. It doesn't say, oh, there's a few people in the church. No, the church sent them out. That's us together. All right? And so uh, the, Holy, uh, the missionaries are sent out by the Holy Spirit and the whole church. And we need to view it that way. Even though we are just one of a number of churches who are cooperating together, nonetheless, we're part of sending our missionaries out. Second thing, missionaries are supported by the whole church as they do their work. Okay, churches, they sent out, they sent money. We'll see some of that in in the upcoming sermons. But they they collected money, they sent money. Um, And then churches along the way would help. And that's good and right. Okay, that's, that's good and right. Third thing, missionaries return and report to the churches that sent and supported them. All right? That's what we saw, right? And our missionaries do that. They send us letters, but then when they can and when we can work out the schedule, we try to get them here. Like we had David Lyle's parents were here, you know, a number of weeks ago. Um, So they come back and report. Now let me, then it says they spent a long time with them. That's hard, isn't it? If we are one of 60 churches supporting somebody, that's not, it's hard for them to even get by and see us every time they've come back every few years. But let me tell you something. We did something a number of years ago, which we have not been able to continue. A number of years ago, we supported uh, missionaries at 10% of their need. So if they needed $6,000 a month, we'd support them at $600 a month. I mean, I don't think we ever hit that number, but do you know what I'm saying? But think about this. If we provide a tenth of their support, and it doesn't have to be a tenth, it could be something, but if we provide a tenth of their support, what's that work out to in a year? 52 weeks in a year. 10% of their support. Could they come spend a couple weeks with us? Could they? Yeah, they can afford to. Because they don't have to go to a bunch more churches because we have supported them substantially enough. They can come and spend a week here, spend two weeks here, and we can interact with them and we can know them. And I guarantee you, you will pray more and give more and care more for a missionary that you feel like you know than for somebody's name on a list you've never met, right? And so we want to work toward this. So here's what we need to do. This is the action step. We need to build and maintain genuine relationships with our missionaries, okay? By sending them. And that'd be awesome if we could send some more missionaries at some point. Praying for them, giving to support them, helping them in whatever way we can. You know, we might be able to go on missions trips and actually be of help to a missionary somewhere. Communicate with them, encourage them, whatever we think of. But we need to pursue genuine relationship with our missionaries. So be praying about that, how we can do that. 
What kinds of things need to happen? Because this is for every one of us. It's for every one of us. It's not for just a few or the elite or the leaders. This is for every one of us. Because God has given the Great Commission to whom? To all of us. Some he calls to be missionaries. And so whether we're carrying out the mission here or we're supporting the mission being out there, we all have a role to play. Father, I thank you for your word and thank you that over the centuries, Christians have done what you've called them to do so that the gospel came to me in 1975, Father. I... Um, Pray that you'd give us a vision for this, that we all have a role to play, a role that matters. Whether it's small or great in the eyes of human beings, it's, it's, it's a great role, an important role that you have given us. And I pray, Father, that we will embrace this, this framework that you've given us for Christian missions, both here and around the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.